everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for August. Because it's the summertime, it's hot, it's sweltering, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's almost like we're moving into this dystopian future where you just can't go anywhere without people interrupting and asking, should you be here? To which you have to wonder, do you have the right answers to actually get to get past them? Now, I might not have the answers myself, but I do know a man who does have the answers to technology questions. He's been fishing out with his CNET. You know, he's he's aware of the effect that Tetris can have on you. You sometimes even see him on the TV talking about 5G. I bring you the one and only Mr. Dan Ackerman. Hey, Dan. I will tell you, the answer is 42. We all know that, right? <laughs> I just don't know what the question is anymore. I might have forgotten. Ain't that always it. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Are you well? I, I am well. I've finally taken the little cast off my foot. I've been hobbling around on a broken toe <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Uh, but now now I am well, just in time for 90-plus degree weather here. I don't know what that translates to in your odd weather scale. It's either negative 10 or 100 million degrees, but it's hot. I... I heard the rumour that the fact that the way that you broke the, your toe was because um, there was a kitten in the street and it was being chased by a pack of rabid dogs. And what happened is that you kicked those dogs out of the way, but one of those dogs was to- so tough, it actually turned around and bit your toe slightly and broke it. Is that the truth or is that just a fabricated lie to make you look like a hero? You know, some people would call that fake news. I would call that, you know, that's what real Brooklyn dogs are like. <laughs> Is your toe improving? Is are you actually able to? Is it keeping you up? At, is it keeping you awake at night? Because this is what I find: it's not. If you hurt your arm, then you know you've got to lie a certain way. But when you've got like hurt finger, you've hurt a toe. It's really easy for that bad boy just to keep you awake, kind of all night. Oh, so true. I had it propped up on a pillow, but mm-hmm. today is the first day I'm proud to say that I've worn two shoes in like three weeks. <laughs> You're back there. Did, did you actually decide whether or not to wear the same pair of shoes? Was there a part of you that considered maybe for a second wearing slightly different shoes just to celebrate the fact that you were able to wear shoes again? Actually, I wish I had thought of that. Now I'm just like a regular guy with just two plain old same shoes. You're just, nobody, you're just not anybody that's able to actually celebrate the fact that you're able to wear shoes. It's tough to pull that look off. I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's like uh, that's like having a soul patch or something. You really got to, you know, only certain people can pull that off, like different kinds of hats. <laughs> I just, I can pull off certain type of hats, but just other ones, I just, you know, I always, I go very quickly from being somebody who's potentially passing off a hat to an older gentleman that you want to make sure he's got on the bus okay to get home. 
<laughs> the kind of guy that you kind of make sure that if you're in the supermarket, you're kind of reaching stuff down from the high shelf, you know, or making sure so you know they're kind of okay kind of thing. That's the kind of person I look like when I've got when I've got a kind of a kind of a hat. Um, you're a man of words. You're a man of um, talking. You're a man of video and stuff like that. You're mainly a man of kind of technology um, and passing off information in one way, shape, or form. Have you always been like that? If we're setting the way clock back, were you the person that you were always in the kind of the debating class at high school? You were always the guy that loved to do his presentations, that you were the type of person that when a new piece of technology came out, like the Super Nintendo, you were so in there reading out about as much as you could find about it when you were kind of a growing up, when you were a young when you were maybe a, a Dan Acker boy as opposed to a Dan Acker man? You know, I got to tell you, completely no, not even the <laughs> slightest. I would not have gotten anywhere near a debate club. Uh, I probably wasn't I probably wasn't good enough for any of that. I went to a very competitive high school, but uh-huh. I was in the lower uh, I was in the lower rungs of, uh, of, of performance there. All right. Uh, all right. Until much, much, much later that I realized that uh, technology reporting and explaining things to people was my was my calling. Even in journalism, I had an earlier career covering nightlife and clubs and DJs wow. and things like that. And only when I aged out of that, when I aged out of going to clubs in New York like uh, Tunnel and Twilo and Limelight, uh, largely because they all got shut down by the police, <laughs> hey, I've, I've got to start doing something different. Is there some incriminating photographs of you wearing some kind of regrettable fashion? Kind of oh, there's incriminating photographs. I mean, it has nothing to do with what I'm wearing. <laughs> But um, how did you fall into the technology side of stuff then? I mean, after the reporting, was it kind of like a general kind of drift into that side, or were you just saying, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what what this is like and just give it a shot and see what see what kind of happens." Way back when I got into this full time, seriously, with CNET, which was about 14 years ago, it mm-hmm. really seemed like that was the era where you were starting to think. This is before the first iPhone, even, but mm-hmm. only just before, uh, and we were really starting to see computers and laptops and phones. You had your Palm Prees, and you had your uh, Motorellas, and you had mm-hmm. your Razors, um, and you had your Blackberries. It really seemed like where all the interesting thought and exercise of imagination was going. And I said, Mm -hmm. that's a conversation I want to be a part of. And as just a natural writer reporter who had a, you know, certainly an interest in tech, who had written Mm -hmm. about video games before, I said, you know what, this is, this is where I want to be. And if an opportunity comes up, I'm in an opportunity came up and I just never left. Do you think on the technology side, do you think there's still as much innovation going on, or do you think the levels of innovation are just kind of sm- kind of smaller? There's not anything. So yeah, we we've hit a design plateau in so many things. Uh, phones, for example, they all look the same. They're all yeah. slab of glass and metal, and they're all roughly the same dimension. Uh, same thing with laptops. That said, it's cyclical. So we are entering an era of new innovation now. And some of the mm. things that I've seen, just in the prototype phase, things that won't come to market for years, if at all, but mm-hmm. they're being built as working prototypes now, are pretty amazing. And you're starting to see some of that with flex 
like simple screens and, yeah. and, and, and depth perception and AR and smart assistants and everything. So there is a change coming. It, it's not going to be as revolutionary, I think, as the invention of the smartphone, which frankly will go down in history as, 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 as a huge sea change in, in how we communicate and store information and, and do things. Mm-hmm. But I think we're coming out of the plateau now, which will be fun to be around for the next you know five years. Well, I just remember, like, um, back in my day, because I'm old, there was things like, there was, like, the Razor phone that you mentioned, and that was, people were blown away by the, the kind of the shape, the way it looked, the kind of the, the old the, the old Nokia phones, how you could just basically chuck them about and they were rubberized, and the, and, and the kids who are listening aren't going to believe us, but you could take a mobile phone and it would hold its charge for an entire week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were still Good there. Much, but yes, you could play a little snake game on it. You could play a little snake game on it. You could play a little snake game on it, which was kind of which was kind of fun. Which was kind of big. Big thing that will blow people's minds is you used to brag about how small your phone was, not how big it was. Yes. The goal was to have, you'd go to dinner or lunch or something with people in the business, and everyone would take out their phones and put them on the table in front of them just to see who had, just casually. And and, and the thing was, if you had the smallest phone, like a StarTac or something at the table, yeah, you yeah. were the big man at the table. It was kind of like um, that scene in American Psycho when they're doing like the business cards. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going like, like, oh, it's size, size, um, it's that's 12.4. And now it's who's got the phone the size of a, of a hardcover book. Exactly. And it's like looking, well, what can I do? And now it'll be a case of, well, I can fold it into five different places and I can change it into a helmet and I can do virtual reality. Kind of next. That sounds like a fun phone. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. In terms of going from digital to analog, though, were you a bit of a board gamer when you were growing up? I mean, was there board games in the family or were you the kind of the classic kind of Monopolies, Candyland type of person kind of growing up? For us, it was more about those classic role-playing games. Uh-huh. Uh, TSR stuff, not just Dungeons and Dragons, but my friends and I, my nerdy Bronx, New York friends and I were into, uh-huh. we went we went into Star Command and Top Secret and GURPS kind of stuff. So so that was the real beginning for us. And that was sort of the, the, the golden age of it in the 1980s. Uh-huh. Uh, when when it was it was almost mainstream but not quite you had uh, uh, you know parents were some parents were outraged about it you had TV reports about satanic role playing games you had that Tom Hanks movie <laughs> where he goes nuts playing a, a fake role playing game yeah, yeah. And that was really but we we added board gamey elements to it because everybody was super into map tiles and miniatures and graph paper and making it sort of a very physical exercise in addition to just being a mental and imagination exercise were you a dm did you dm you know i didn't really no i was uh we were all uh we were all too interested in playing nobody wanted to dm it was it was Mm. too much hassle i i would occasionally for other people who had not done it before Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. very to our little characters and their maps and their you know stuff what kind of character did you like to play what was your kind of your go-to your go-to person at the time gosh let's see i'm trying to remember the class i, I remember very distinctly that he had a mace and i was very excited about this mace because it was different <laughs> everybody's got a sword okay but not yeah, everybody yeah. can rock it it's like wearing a hat you know if you can pull off the mace then you got it going on that's pretty cool. Did you keep with the, have you kept with a cardboard or did your 
kind of your I take because obviously when you when you started your job you were saying you were into the club scene, so I can't imagine you kind of like waking up the next morning after like looking at the opening of the latest clinic club, and then going into the technology sheet kind of thing having all the shiny technology was the cardboard kind of put to one side or were you still gently kind of clicking away at it. No, I spent a big chunk of the last decade or so deeply involved in in video games, mm-hmm. writing about them, writing a book about them, doing a lot yeah. of TV about them, and that really took up a lot of my energy up until a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when I discovered all the really interesting energy happening uh, in this very analog game space, and even in the crossover where you have games that have you know companion apps and and do a little bit bit of back and forth there. So mm-hmm. it was. Until that started to happen that I said, there's this whole other world here that's underexplored in a lot of ways, and it's so different, but at the same time has so much in common with uh, you know video games and interactive storytelling and entertainment. I was always more interested in the kind of more outre, uh, uh, you know, digital storytelling side of video games rather than just like blasting monsters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- and then I just, as as any good reporter does, once you start digging away at something, you just keep going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, I'm rapidly running out of shelf space. <laughs> Do you think one of the attractions with the tabletop scene um, is because it's still pretty personal, is that you are gathering people around the table and you're able to have a conversation? Where, Because if I'm looking at, say, the current kind of video game scene, it's almost like it's anonymous people that you don't really talk to or kind of interact with. And the days of almost couch co-op, apart from, say, the Nintendo Switch, which still has it with, like, you know, one, two Switch and a couple of other kind of couch co-op games, the kind of the, the online multiplayer is, unless you know the people and you've arranged to kind of chat to them online, it's a fairly kind of anonymous process. You won't actually be really speaking to a lot of people. Whereas board games... There seems to be a little bit more of a social kind of element to it that's kind of helping. Do you think that's kind of... That's 100% true, and you've totally nailed it about the Nintendo Switch. That's why that's been such a huge success. Because it's brought back that local multiplayer, you know, couch co-op experience, and Mm. so many... Mario Kart or Super Smash Brothers or or anything like that. Uh, it's it's been it's been huge for bringing that back because so much of exactly what you said, the online multiplayer gaming, so much of that community is so toxic. It's yes. just like it's just like punky kids <coughs> each other off and using bad words and uh, playing games they they should not be playing because they're not old enough, and, uh, and plus just regular plain old toxicity. So that's that's a hundred percent true, and it scares people off. I went to the Fortnite World Cup recently that was held here in New York. And yes. The, the players were all, you know, high teens, low 20s, but out of the 100 top players there, they were all men. There were no women there, even though there are a lot of women Fortnite players, but I wonder how much of that is because of the toxic environment of multiplayer gaming, online multiplayer video gaming, and, and how that keeps them out of these competitive leagues. Do you think there's a way around that, or do you think it's something that you need to actually take? You can't just keep saying, okay, women are welcome here. You actually need to almost take action to make it kind of welcome in space for just the kind of your, what you would call your standard video player. I think a lot of it has got to be generational, unfortunately, and that's a long time fix, but it's mm-hmm. already so much better than it was, and it will be so much better than it is today. Mm-hmm. When you're playing 
when you're playing tabletop, do you have a regular group that you play with? Have you found friends through playing tabletop that you wouldn't have kind of other fo- otherwise found, do you think? In that case, it's more online friends uh, among local people. It's about taking mm-hmm. people who I know have a lot of the same interests and saying, hey, remember when you used to do this? Let's mm-hmm. let's try some of these new ones. Or there was a Dungeons & Dragons game being played out of my office for many years in a conference yeah, yeah. room on Friday night. So, uh, you know, fellow travelers are not hard to find in the tech and game space. So I take it, are you, as a tech, I mean, covering this kind of space... I mean, Simon recently announced their kind of their interactive kind of technology piece. I think it's called Tabura. I keep mispronouncing it and misspelling it, and that's probably why they won't listen to any of the emails that I'm sending to them about it. But um, how, because you're obviously of what you cover, have you seen? Are you seeing kind of more tabletop companies get in contact with kind of organisations like yourself? to help kind of raise awareness and kind of build up their brand amongst your kind of community. Oh, definitely. And we've been running content against that, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Amazon Prime Day and yeah. Yeah. season. So we've been doing a bunch of seasonal, uh, you know, here's some board games are on sale for Amazon Prime Day. And mm-hmm. here's the best games that will appeal to video gamers. Yeah, uh, yeah. And those have done well. And game companies pitch us against that. But the the uh, uh, that, t- that tablet kind of hybrid product uh, that you mentioned, the t- Tableau, Tabuli, uh, I'm not even sure what you call it. I, de- I I did talk to them briefly about it. That seems super interesting. It's it feels a little gimmicky, at least for now. And it, I feel like they aren't they going to take it to Kickstarter next year? If it's like you know a real piece of technology, maybe you launch it. You know, you're a big company. Uh, you know, put it together and launch it. I'm not sure what the what the long tail is on that. Yeah, I must admit. Yeah, I'm the same. There's a lot of luddites out there. I think when it comes to board gaming, kind of space. I know there's a lot of people that like kind of. They don't like phones at the table. They don't like electronic pieces at the table just in case, you know, if you put a phone on the table, there's a likelihood that people are going to pick it up and start, you know, kind of tweeting or Facebook and stuff or chatting to somebody else or kind of lose themselves in the atmosphere of the kind of the game. I'm interested to see what it can do potentially from an accessibility point of view. I reckon that if you are moving physical pieces that in some way when you move them onto spaces are able to tell the space that you're on and stuff like that i reckon there's potentially applications for accessibility for a lot of people you know people that have maybe color blind potentially people that are visually impaired for them to allow them to join join in a game the normal sighted people would kind of be involved in i i just hope like you say i hope it's not a gimmick that they kind of roll out and then they kind of almost push on to other games. I don't know. We'll need to see. It could be kind of very, very kind of interesting indeed. And and also for remote play, I think that's super interesting. Somebody had a, a Kickstarter. It was called Vorpal Board, and it was yes, a yes. gameplay yeah, yeah. product. And I, I played a session with the guy. Uh, and I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it it didn't uh, the, the physical part of it wasn't as high tech as as maybe you'd imagine. And maybe this this uh, uh, Tableau system is some future version of that, some evolved version. 
But yeah, we'll wait and see. But I like, I think what they're doing that makes things more accessible is uh, companies that are now doing digital versions, even if they're stripped down versions of their games as standalones. You can now play Zombicide on your phone. Mm -hmm. I'm testing the the, the Gloomhaven uh, Steam PC game version. And it's not the same, but it's a good gateway, I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm interested to that. I think um, I saw a tweet on today somebody saying that they're releasing an expansion for a game in digital format before they release the analog version and i don't know if that's to allow it allows it makes it easier for them to i guess play test it and see if it works in terms of balancing and stuff like that as well instead of going out and you know printing maybe 500 or a thousand units but um i mean Obviously, you yourself will be aware of going through kind of like playtesting and getting people to try out kind of new products because, you know, we're not just here to talk about, you know, board games. We're here to talk about a land, a faraway land, a Techlandia, <laughs> faraway type land. Because you've got Techlandia, which is coming out on Kickstarter next week. August 6th. I mean... Are you, is it squeaky bum time, Dan? I mean, are you getting kind of, are the little butterflies kind of picking up in the tummy a bit now? Because it's all of a sudden getting close to being very, very kind of real. Oh, it totally is. And this is where you realize that no matter how much of an obsessive planner or how much of an organizer or spreadsheet jockey that you are, there's always a million things that come up at the last minute that you've got to finish, whether it's different graphics for this or making sure Mm. this is set up. Uh, I've I've spent a lot of time dealing with MailChimp. And um, yeah, there's always uh, that. It's it's that last minute crunch, but it's also exciting. Uh, It's also Mm -hmm. happening the same week that Samsung is going to introduce their new phones. So so it's going to be a busy week. <laughs> so you've got you've got that, and you've also got kind of like your own um, Kickstarter running alongside. The nice thing you. is the Samsung phones are being introduced here in New York, so at least I don't have to fly anywhere for that. I suppose that's pretty good. What made you decide to get something together? What has it made you think, well, actually, I, I can create a game. I'm going to create a game. Well, I was in this mode where I was buying games and I was playing them and discovering new things, trying to figure out. I was figuring out what I liked uh, and and what I was into. And then I went to a a technology media event. That's where a big company has something at a big stadium or or a warehouse or an event space or a loft, and you go there and they say, "Here's our new products." You look at them, you talk to people. They have a stage presentation. Sometimes you get your camera crew, you shoot videos. They're mm. usually pretty awful, uh, but this one I went to was so awful. It was mm-hmm. it was like a, a a Kafka-esque nightmare of getting in the wrong line, being misdirected, crowded, going to the wrong place, the PR people not giving you the right information. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, and I was like, this is just a nightmare. It's like I'm in a it's like I'm in a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, <laughs> Later on, thinking back on it days after, I said that that would be a funny little video game, like a little side-scrolling, you know, 8-bit DIY game about escaping from this tech event. And then I thought for a few minutes, uh, I kind of did a little sketching out in my brain and said, wait a minute. That's not a video game. That's a tabletop game. (laughs) And I literally went and got 
uh, some paper and I started sketching. I printed out some hex paper on my printer and I started sketching on that. And then within you know 24 hours, I had a super, super, super rough prototype uh, of just like what the basic, you know, get from here to there mm. and here's funny cards mechanics because it has to be a, a satire on the excesses of the technology space uh, and all these giant companies and their hubris. Uh, and then it just went from there and just taking this analog approach to a very digital world yeah. is the best way to, to kind of lampoon it. Is that kind of what's cool about tabletop is that I can basically get kind of like 10 sheets of A4 and give me an evening. I can produce something that I can technically sit around a table with another couple of people and we can play through a prototype. Because like, look at it this way. If you take in Techlandia and said, well, actually... I've got a friend who can do some coding and we're going to make a simple game. I mean, you're looking at six to eight months down the line and all the kind of the the nightmare and nonsense that goes with developing a kind of a video game. But it sounds to me that you were able to get the bare bones of Techlandia together within, you know, literally within a matter of hours as opposed to a matter of months. Oh, that that immediacy, that 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 immediacy, mm-hmm. and the ability to just take an exacto knife and some pens and uh, mm-hmm. scissors and glue, and uh, I, it was just it, it it fuels the imagination more so than sitting there encoding and recoding something. Uh, also, I had recently gotten into yet another incredibly geeky hobby, which is three D printing, and I was like, uh, I'm going to print all the components. This is great. <laughs> so while you're sitting there iterating, you're also making pieces in like Tinkercad and sending them to the 3D printer, which I then turned into eventually a a big series on uh, 3D printers that I just published at CNET, where I reviewed like five different, you know, low low to medium budget 3D printers. Uh, So I always, when when I do something like this and I discover something, I go, how can I transmit this information to other people so that it's helpful? So I turned it into a big series on on 3D printing. That's cool. That's cool. So you're able like, well, no, I'm just going to be using, where's all the kind of the, the plastic gone from this machine? I'm pretty sure we had a couple of spare cartridges and there's you off kind of like with a box of kind of a shaking, rattling box under your arm with all your pieces. <laughs> That's what everybody asks me about 3D printing. Oh, is the material like the printers are expensive? The material is actually cheap. Uh, yeah. You can get a big roll for like twenty bucks, um, and uh, it lasts forever. It's made of sugar cane and cornstarch, so it's not even really plastic. It's biodegradable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the stuff that you know the the entry level stuff that I use. You can get fancy and use like you know metal and wood fibers and mm-hmm. resin, but that's that's not prototyping kind of stuff but the ability to make frankly prototype minis and tokens and card holders has been fantastic and i think really fuels creativity it just allows you to take it take it to that extra level isn't it there's a little bit of tact tactileness about the you know the product you know it's all very well having pieces of paper but if you've got like solid counters instead i guess that can help fire the imagination to kind of what can i do next can i do this is this going to work is this going to work in a in a kind of an actual space on a table because one of the things you say is it's small techlandia is small enough to fit on a normal size kind of coffee table so i take it you weren't going for the huge you know, 150 kind of minis kind of game. You wanted something that people would just be able to throw on a table, have a quick couple of games of, and then put it away quite quickly afterwards. 
Yeah, the first the first game I bought during my current spree, which started a year or so ago, was uh, Mansions of Madness, which I still no, no, love, no. and that's exactly the kind of game I like. You know, mm-hmm. doing things on tiles, but it's so gigantic. I, I live in a New York City apartment. You know, that's a that's a <laughs> tough sell sometimes. Yeah, so yeah. I said when I was designing this, I said let's take all the elements I like from games, uh, guys moving around and and girls moving around on tiles and doing things and some fighting, but some exploring and puzzle solving and a good story and mm. you know different types of not doing the same thing all the time over and over and over but then let's add some other things i really want which is i wanted to have a small footprint but not feel like a little pocket game but fit on a table i wanted to only take an hour or so to play and you can come back and play it again if you want but it's not a it's not a you know five hour commitment and they get it all in a package where it's not that extensive. I don't want, you know, games are $70, $80, which translate to uh, 10 shillings and a thruppence, I think. <laughs> At the moment, with the way exchange rate's going, it's about, you know, it's about £52,000, yeah. basically, <laughs> basically. You know, because <laughs> I... <laughs> I was in London uh, a month or so ago for about a week for a, uh, a video games conference uh, that I was speaking at, and the amazing thing was I never touched a piece of local currency the entire time. Everything was just on my bank card, including taking the bus where I was just able to, you know, tap and get in. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was it was interesting. It was amazing, but it was also I feel like I missed something by not even thinking about you know the local currency. Exactly. You don't get anybody coming up and saying, you got to change for a fiver, governor, because people don't speak like that in London, of course, but, you know, just kind of that kind of thing. Um, taking a turn in your Techlandia nightmare dreamscape, How? what would you do on a turn? I've got the board laid out of me in some hexagonal grids, and I've got my nice little figures, and I've got my deck of cards. What am I going to be doing in my turn, Dan? The concept here is there's a big tech company called Techlandia, and you can say they are any big tech company you can think of. And they're launching a new phone because you are plugged into the underground. You suspect that the the uh, crazed CEO of the company, because we all know big company CEOs are all maniacs, is yeah. actually using these phones and the rare earth materials within them. And this is all semi-based on reality. This is where it diverges from reality a little bit to open a portal to a Lovecraftian dark dimension. And, uh, you know, if you have five million phones around the world and they all have special rare earth stuff in them and they're all connecting, portal, ancient evil, you know, not good. So you've discovered this. And you figure out the way to uh, the way to stop this is by is by going to the big launch event for the phone and sabotaging it. Unfortunately, as a B-list tech blogger, you have not been invited. But that's okay because you're not a tech blogger because you like following the rules. You're going to sneak in. So during a turn during the, the main part of the game, we are breaking into the top secret headquarters of this mm-hmm. tech company. We are sneaking around. We are getting clues. We are getting the parts of the QR code that you need to scan to get through the final security gates. And during that, you are fighting off the uh, company's evil PR people and other employees who are uh, tech cultists, as we call them, uh, including some that are slightly more monstrous than others, even though they all still have the suit and tie. Don't get me wrong. they got to look sharp. But, uh, so so if you see a... If you see a uh, a, a PR-looking dude with a with a suit and tie on, but a monstrous, squiggly Cthulhu head. Well, that's like an executive at the company. You can you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you mentioned QR codes. So is there an app for this then? Or does it take you to like a, a kind of a, a website to show you kind of like how the codes are working and stuff like that? I, I like the idea of an app tying into the game. It's not for every game, and I felt like it wasn't for this game, but I, I, I like the idea of having something that's just a little bit techy, but not really. So you collect these QR codes uh, as you go through the game and investigate rooms and, and mm-hmm. fight bad guys. And then once you have the four parts of the code, you can try to get through the security gate by going to the security center. So you have four QR code very you know you, you can choose from you got to figure out which way the puzzle goes together mm-hmm. and you take a card it's a jumbo sized card it's got an actual working qr code on it so you take your phone any phone will do this you just aim the camera at it it will pop open uh, an online uh, destination that i've set up and it will show you the result of that card scan whether you succeeded mm-hmm. or you failed mm-hmm. And through clever play of the game, you can make sure that you have enough chances to get to the right answer without getting your brain sucked out. If, if, you're, if you're impetuous and just run in there right away unprepared, if you get the wrong QR code, well, then, you know, that's it for you. Uh, but the, the fact that you can actually just have a QR code and have it go somewhere just with a simple phone scan, I think is, is fun and different and interesting, but not too high tech that you feel like you're not playing a, a tabletop game. It, it doesn't make it too video gamey. So um, yeah. that, is my, that is my little crossover bit there. Uh, mm-hmm. And everyone seems to like it. Uh, they don't find it too imposing to go, you know, get their phone out and point it at a QR code. Although there's a workaround in the instructions for how to do it if you only have like an old flip phone, like a burner phone, like a drug dealer yeah, yeah. burner phone. Then sure, we, you know, <laughs> we, we, we can draw the cards in a different way, but this yeah. is part of the world making. And... When, I mean, when people are playing it, is it a one versus many? Is one person playing the corporation or is it, is the corporation just like a random kind of AI-controlled enemy that you've, everybody's got to kind of deal with? That, that's exactly it. I call it cooperative, where it's cooperative, but there is a competitive element as well. So uh-huh. everyone plays a, uh, a, a tech blogger or a reporter or heroic journalist, um, mm. all trying to unravel the mystery of the company. Now, if somebody manages to do that, well, that's it. Humanity is hopefully saved. Uh, so that's great. Cooperatively, you all win. But competitively... As any reporter knows, you want to be the person to get the scoop. So you are competing against the other people to get it first. Uh, So you can cross each other. You can throw each other down the well. But at the same time, there's a bigger evil that we're fighting. Oh, cool. Okay. Is it supporting solo play as well, then? I really did build it around strong solo from the very start because I feel so many people don't always have you know, people around to play with or you just want to get yeah. into something or sometimes you just want to have a quick, fun game by yourself. And I think games like uh, you know, Arkham Horror or Zombicide mm. or the, the Fallout game or you know, other cool stuff like that, they work pretty well solo. So I, I made sure this was a no-compromise solo experience largely because a lot of my personal you know, building and playtesting you know, takes place you know, late at night or when no one else is around. Uh, yeah. So I, I had to make it work for me, and I found it was a it was pretty cool like that. But it's so much it's a, it's a different game with multiple people. So it's almost like two separate games. Solo, you go through it. You're very focused. Uh, you're you're fighting against the clock. You're fighting against these bad guys. And when you add other people, 
there's a cooperative, but I'm going to stab you in the back element that uh, takes you right down to the wire. Um, have you got a price of entry sorted out? I mean, your pledge level for your Kickstarter. I mean, it looks very, very interesting. And just like looking at like the, the pieces and the artwork on it, I'm kind of really interested in kind of having a further look. But for people who are listening along and saying, well, this does sound good. The QR sounds cool. I like the idea of a little bit of a Lovecraftian kind of PR type exercise. But how much is a pledge going to be, Dan? I really set out to make this an inexpensive uh, game, a product that you could just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to try this out. This sounds fun. Uh, so many of these games are so awesome, but they're $80, $100, $150 yeah. more. Uh, that's that's tough to ask people to, uh, to, to invest in an idea for that. You know, if you're a big brand who's been doing this for years, that's great. This is the first game I'm developing, although I feel like I'm a reasonably known quantity in the you know, entertainment and information space. I've written books, I've done TV shows, so I'm saying, come along with me on this ride, but I'm not going to make it expensive. Uh, my, I feel like the price is probably 35 US dollars, but that includes free shipping mm -hmm. in the US and the equivalent in subsidized shipping elsewhere. That's very reasonable, considering kind of like the, the current kind of Kickstarter market. Yeah, exactly. Um, and some is. people charge the shipping later, and I just feel like that's like a little sneaky. Uh, you know, you know, it's like an artificially low price. So throw the throw the shipping in, or you know, ten or twelve dollars worth of subsidized mm -hmm. shipping, whatever that is. Frankly, it's not very heavy. It's under two pounds, so it's not going to be a bear to ship. That's cool. Excellent. Um, if people are wanting to maybe check out the game beforehand, if they're wanting to find out some more information about either the game or even yourself, um, where do you guys, where do you, would you say you exist on the internet webs? Oh, I'm everywhere on the internet. I am the internet. Oh, wait. Sorry. I was getting a little megalomaniacal for a moment. Uh, I, we set up uh, techlandiagame.com and starting... Mm -hmm. On the 6th, I'm just going to redirect that straight to the Kickstarter page. But Good there, up. right now, you can you know, see all the information, watch some videos. I also mm -hmm. have uh, a rulebook download, simple enough. I've got print and play files if you want to take a look at all the components. And cool. I set up a table to I taught myself uh, <laughs> how to set up a Tabletopia version. That's the, you know, the browser-based uh, game simulator. So there's a full Tabletopia version of the solo game. I haven't gotten around to the multiplayer yet. I just wanted to get the stuff up there and, and have it look nice. Yeah. Uh, but I did dress up the room with some of the graphics from the uh, from the game and stuff. So it feels like you're in this evil you know technology company headquarters. It, it, it was really a lot of fun to, to <laughs> learn how to use Tabletopia. Uh, so that That's is all up there right now. Techlandiagame.com. Uh, uh, and of course, you can just Google me and find me anywhere. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Dan Ackerman. There you go. Simple as. But what we'll do is we will take all of these links and we'll put them in the show notes. So we've got a... Uh, notes to show um if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to you should know by now i hope if you're listening for the first time thank you for listening if you want to continue to listen and see what else we can do go to the googles search for we're not wizards you'll find us in all these worn out places uh, bright and early for the daily races your twitters your facebooks your instagrams our website we're not wizards.com or blogspot 
which is wearenotwizards.blogspot.com. If you like what you've listened to tonight, then go and check us out on all these podcast catchers that are out there. Some of them have got pod in them, some of them have got cast in them, some of them have got neither in them, like Player FM. Um, or if you like us even more, you can go to the Apple Podcasts and you can drop us a subscription or you can drop us a rating or a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review. Don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. I'm getting old. I am becoming the most ugliest crier. So don't do that. Give us something in the middle, like a five. Well, that's the average. You know, you throw out the top score, you throw out the bottom score. Exactly. exactly. Judge and the Canadian just, judge. Just, you can't trust either one of them. And they go, and then we're left with a middle score, which is a five. Because it's average. It's in the middle, and we're just. And, 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 and um, you know about modern podcasting. And we are just a little bit average, but the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful. He's a rather fantastic Mr. Dan Ackerman. Thank you very, very much for coming on, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been fantastic. Good. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Dan? I believe we are not, but I'm going to have to check with uh, uh, the Washington Post fact check department on that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I don't know. <laughs> They'll, They'll probably, probably have you coming back, back as some, some kind, kind of mechanical, mechanical gorilla, gorilla. <laughs> um, that has lasers for eyes, I would think. Um, yeah, they're on their way now. <laughs> and the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Dan. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe for all sixes. Make something awful. And if you are kind of one of these investigative, cheeky little people that like sneaking into PR events and then you realise that all hell is about to break loose, then in the next couple of days there'll be the ideal game for you. It will be Techlandia. Make sure you check it out in the show notes. But until the next time, goodbye. Wizard is never linked. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. <laughs> <laughs>